talk today about a, a, a particular tool called Crucial Conversations. And it's a way to help you keep your relationships and your productivity together. You're going to think that literally uh, Jeff and the previous presenter that was in this room actually just shared notes because it's a, it's a lot of this is similar kind of things. But what I want to um, do is just say crucial conversations can happen anywhere, like this morning in our hotel room on our way over here. This is the crucial conversation that my wife and I had. Um, the space where she was getting ready was little, and I went in to grab a shirt, and I said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bother you. And she said, yet you were still able to do it. <laughs> and so you never know when crucial conversations are going to hit. For those of us who uh, are in the faith community, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 is kind of the total summary of, um, of this particular uh, talk. And it, it, you know what the verse, Ephesians 4, 15 says, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ Jesus. I like what the Amplified Bible says about it. It says this. But speaking the truth in love, and then it has the little brackets, and it says, in all things, both our speech and our lives, expressing his truth. Let us grow up in all things into him, following his example, who is the head, and that is Christ. And so we're going to walk through. Uh, I knew we would be, my time was after lunch, and so I went ahead and filled in the blanks for you. So there's, I mean, you can take other notes, but the blanks are, are, are filled in for the main points of what we're trying to do. I, um, if you take all the people who have ever fallen asleep in an after lunch talk that I have given and you lay them end to end, they're just more comfortable. So if, if <laughs> whatever you need to do to manage yourself during this time, I will try to be um, uh, quick. Okay, here we go. As we, as we think about um, this particular presentation, um, it's, it's kind of like Viewmaster. So remember, it, it, so I'm old enough to remember that my Viewmaster was actually this color, okay? And, um, and so at the end of the day, remember Viewmasters? They, they weren't like a video. I mean, was, this was high tech, right? When they, this was high technology, and you put the little thing in, and if it was Jungle Book, there were three discs. And it told the whole Jungle Book story. But, and you thought they did as a kid, but when you saw the video, it was like, wow, there's a whole bunch more. That's kind of this conference today, okay? When it comes to the Crucial Conversations tool, the book, and some of the resources that are available, um, that's more the video. What I'm going to give you is the, uh, the Viewmaster view. It's helpful. I mean, if, if you were to apply what we learn these three or four skills today, it can make a significant difference in what you're trying to do. But I say this to say that the resource deserves more, okay? And so um, this is the Viewmaster view. But So let's start our conversation by asking this question. At, and... We don't have to do it at the tables right now. At your tables, take four minutes to discuss when you were a child, what strategies and tactics did you use to try to get your way? Let's just do it as a large group. When you were a kid, what did you do to try to get your way in a conversation? What's that? Okay, so be a brat. What else? <laughs> okay. You were prepositioned, yes. That's awesome. What else? Anybody? Okay. Yeah. Did you? <laughs> Negotiate and whine at the same time. Okay. So we have, I know this is hard to believe, but we have six grandkids under five or five and under. And there are six different ways that those little boogers negotiate. You know, we, we have our oldest grandson who he, he turns on the charm. Our oldest granddaughter just melts and, and like just not quite a tantrum, but just lots of tears. You know, that's how, we, that's how we negotiate. So here's the point. If we don't learn different methodologies for getting what we want, we take those into adulthood, right? And so um, now that you're an adult, what has changed? We're not going to mention anybody's names, but you know people you worked with people, you may have been married, or you may, might be married to someone or your kids or whatever, but you know there's still some childish stuff that goes on when it, when it comes to how do, we try to get, how do we try to get our way. So Crucial Conversations is a skill set. It's a, it's a set of, of skills that helps us uh, not just react in the moment, but actually respond. So here's the point. 
The strategies we use to achieve the results we care about are often outdated and ineffective, and they're keeping us stuck. Okay? So, um, I mean, I will tell you, um, uh, I just turned 60, and this unique set of skills is something that I just learned about about two years ago. Became aware of in a, in a holistic kind of a set. Now, that doesn't mean I've been an idiot my whole life. What it simply means is why didn't, I mean, this book's been around for a long time. So why didn't somebody love me enough to tell me there's a better way to, uh, to do some things? Because my daughter told me um, at, at a meeting that we were in when she was on staff, actually, this is, a, I hadn't thought about this, but this is a great example of how we can sabotage ourselves in, if we're not self-aware. I was the executive pastor of a church. My daughter was the preschool minister. We go down to a meeting that the senior pastor called. The senior pastor said some, you know, like, hey, we need to do this, that, and the other thing. And now Bob's going to finish the meeting. Well, I didn't know that I was going to finish the meeting prior to the meeting. And so I tried to guess what the outcome he wanted, and we moved toward that. On the way home, I was riding with my daughter, and I said to her, how did that meeting go? And she said, were you mad? And I said, no, I wasn't mad. She said, you should have told your face. So, yeah, she can say that. I mean, and, and to quote somebody from this morning, I have resting Grinch face. So, like, when I am concentrating, like, my face is real kind of serious, right? I wasn't mad at all, but I was concentrating, but I wasn't aware of that. So, automatically, that sent a vibe through the, through the room, okay? So, we're going to learn some stuff like that here in just a few minutes. So, what makes a crucial conversation? Thanks for asking. This is the first um, piece that's on your handout. Um, it's any time that you have opposing opinions, strong emotions, and high stakes in a conversation. Or high stakes means the outcomes actually matter. So it really, it, it, it matters. So every conversation is not a crucial conversation. And, and here's the interesting thing. Crucial conversations, sometimes you don't know they're coming. It's just all of a sudden it, it happens. You know, it, you, you don't realize you're going there. So what do you do when you find yourself in the middle of a crucial conversation? Because you know this, that if you don't know what to do, you're either going to fight or flight. Right? You're, you're either going to bow up or you're going to shut down. And when you do that, what happens? You remain stuck. Nobody has helped. Nobody grows. Uh, those kind of things. So that's what a crucial conversation is. I want you to think for me just for a minute, and I'm not going to ask you to say what it is, but can you think of a, just try to think of a conversation maybe that you've been involved in either as the, the initiator of the conversation or you were involved in because somebody else made it this way, but try to think of a crucial conversation that you may not have known how to, how to move your way through, and that'll really help us as we, as we process through this. So those are the three elements, opposing opinions, strong emotions, and high stakes. Here's the problem. When it matters most, we often do our worst. We either don't hold the conversations or we don't hold them well. I'm guilty because of my personality is I'll hold the conversation, but I kind of hold them on my terms sometimes if I'm not careful. I don't hold them in a way that creates dialogue. So the solution is to learn to identify and discuss the gaps that are key to the organization or the team or, or, the, or interpersonal success. So let's talk about that for just a second. But I want to, as we talk about it, what I want to do is I want to let you, I, wanna, I want us to be able to feel together what it feels like to find yourself in an, a crucial conversation that you may not have been prepared for. So here we have um, Anya, and over here we have Kim, and um, they're on the way to a meeting. And here's, as you watch this, it's just a two-minute video. I want you to tell me how you would feel, and what would, be, what would you be most concerned about if you, were, if you were one of this, well, actually, if you were her. Okay, so here we go. So, I am really excited to have you and your team digging out this project. Well, thanks, we're excited too. Let's talk timelines. Yes, so we looked it over and we think we can get everything done in just a little over six months. Okay, when I worked it out, it seemed like we should be able to finish this by the end of the quarter. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I'm glad you brought that up because that's like half the usual time for a project like this. Yeah, but that's why you're in this role. 
You have an ability to make the impossible happen. Thanks, Kim. Uh, but yeah, we went over all of the individual tasks and there is no way to get that done in three months. Okay, let me give you some more context here. Other product launches are at stake. I've already said we can do it by then and the accelerated schedules are in the master plan. Wait, so you've already made a commitment to the leadership team without consulting me about whether this is feasible? You know we need a big win this year and there's a lot of pressure on us. Look, when I went to bat for you to get this position, do you know what I said? I said you're the best person for this job. I said you could get things done in tight timelines. All right, what you thinking? Let's just, I mean, let's talk. What, what are you thinking? What's that? Yeah, there, I mean, you feel left out of the decision at all levels. What else? Yeah. Yeah, so it doesn't matter what corporate needs. I mean, if the goal can't be done, it can't be, it can't be done. What else? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, did you see, you felt that, right? When she talked about, I told them you were the person, you can make mount, you know, whatever she said. What else? Okay, yeah, did, so, so the message and the manner with which it's, it's had, it matters, right? And these are all things we were told long, long time ago, but we just, in the press of daily life, we often ignore these kinds of things. What else, what are, else are you thinking? What else? Yes, sir. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So the manager certainly had an opportunity to say, oh, wow, I didn't realize. I'm, yes, I should have included you, but I didn't. And, and so, I, boy, maybe we can get some more people on your team, those kind of things. And she didn't, at least at this point, do that. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. 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 So, you know, you, you know this, right? People don't need to have their way. They need to have their way considered. And so at the end of the day, the, uh, um, people need to feel respected in our interactions. They need to know that we have goodwill toward them. They need to know that we empathize with them. And, and the manager certainly missed a lot of those a lot of those opportunities. So I want you to keep that angst that we felt as we watch that as we move through some of the rest of this because here's, here's the reality. What causes a crucial conversation is a gap. And it's a gap between what you expect the performance to be and what the performance actually is, okay? And, and so what's interesting about this is this can be professional, it can be, it can be personal. And, and so let's talk for just a few minutes about maybe what kind of gaps we, what kind of gaps we have. So as, as we think about it, um, possible gaps could be, not everyone on your team is pulling their weight. Uh, deadlines are consistently being, are constantly being missed. Someone who works for you continues to perform below their potential. You're consistently experiencing or witnessing microaggressions on your team or your coworkers aren't as responsive as you need them to be. What are some other professional gaps maybe from where you're the chair that you sit? What are some other gaps that may, may result in crucial conversations? Yeah, yeah, if somebody, um, if you know it needs to be urgent and there's not that somebody else responding as though it's urgent, yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. 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 And we actually saw that in the previous video, right? So maybe the manager actually has no option. You know, like maybe there's some kind of train wreck that this actually has to be done. Well, um, 
that communication would have been nice. It would have been helpful. Uh, so then there's personal. So your spouse or your partner spends far too much time at work and doesn't balance work and personal life well. Your teenage child is constantly on their phone and won't engage in meaningful conversation. Your adult child lives at home still, but doesn't help out around the house. So the point of these two slides is to say, this isn't just a work problem. This is a life problem. And people who do well, people who are, uh, Jeff talked about leader. I mean, in that whole uh, general leadership, if you don't know how to hold conversations where people disagree with you and you feel strongly about something and they feel strongly about something, then you're at a disadvantage and everything goes downhill from there. So that's really what we're trying to do on these two slides about where the gaps are. So here's the real question though. Why are there gaps? So think, think with me for just a minute about um, if there are gaps between performance and expectation, what are some general causes of gaps? Rick talked about their lack of communication. So that's one. What else? Yeah, expectations are different. It's the manager expects this, the person who actually do the work expects this. What else? What's that? Yeah, so it's that whole thing that it's education, letting people know what the vision is or what the task actually is, okay? Uh, somebody else was raised in there. Yes, sir. Yeah, unrealistic goals, absolutely. And so, um, and when there are gaps between performance, um, oftentimes the very next conversation that we were supposed to have, we can't or we don't because we don't know how to do it. And here's what they say is the reason for that. It's called the fool's choice. And here's the, here's the fool's choice, and this is on your sheet. It's the belief that you must choose between telling someone the truth and keeping a friend. Now we all, if you're human and breathing in this room, you know about this. You know that there are things that you wish you could tell somebody, but you're not sure that you'd still be friends on the other side. The whole premise of this is that um, this is um, in the same way um, that our previous presenter talked about we can choose our attitude and some of those kind of things. The fool's choice is to believe that I can either be nice to you or tell you the truth, but we can't do both. And so when you believe that, it sucks you into a way of living and being that, that actually cascades out from you that actually causes people around you um, to be worse at what they do because you are not doing what you know, what you know to do. So with that in mind, uh, well, let's, a couple of things here. Um, so like a toxic work culture can cause this. Pride and fear can cause this. I mean, I've been the boss before. I've been the manager of that in, where, where I just, knew I was wrong, but I just didn't want to go back and tell the person that I was, you know, that I was wrong. I've been the employee that was actually afraid to have an upward conversation with my boss because I didn't know what would, but, so here's the, here's the thing. Empowerment in this situation, remember, speaking the truth in love with my words and my actions means that I don't have to settle for the fool's, I don't have to settle for the fool's choice, okay? Um, here's an interesting diagnostic the health of any relationship, team, or organization can be measured by, by the lag time between identifying and discussing problems. So, so think about this. If there's an, so let's go back to, to the Anya situation, the video. If that would have been a healthy situation, she could have immediately said something right? But, what, but the lag time means that now she's got to go back and think up her plan about how she's going to either talk about the boss behind her back or try to lean into what, to lean what's going on. So, so, the, so if there's a giant lag time between the initiation of the solution, that typically means that the relationship is tenuous or unhealthy. Okay. I want to I want to show you a video that's uh, is really um, effective to kind of show you how powerful this fool's choice is about being able to tell the truth and not tell the truth. Watch this. 
We all know adults stink at talking about tough things, but how about little kids? Here's my experiment. Feed kids wretched brownies, then see if they'll tell you the truth, especially when they think it might hurt your feelings. First, I made the brownies. Lots of chocolate, eggs, flour, but instead of just sugar, I added in salt. Lots of salt. There's no way they can like these better. Then, I invited kids of various ages for a taste test. I told them I want to compare ordinary brownies to my special brownies. My dear grandmother's special recipe. My dear dead grandmother's special recipe. I gave them some cash for being such a big help. Okay, here it goes. First, they ate the yummy sugar brownies. Next, they ate the salt bricks. Watch this girl. She can barely choke it down. And how about this girl? Even this kid. Look at that face. And now for the crucial moment. Will they tell me the truth and possibly offend me? I asked them to point to the brownies they like best. No surprise that some try to spare my feelings. But watch, even the one who gagged. And how about really little kids? Yep. Wow. But do you want to know what they really thought? Here guys, I have leftovers. Does anybody want seconds? Okay, observations about human nature. <laughs> yeah, but when it comes to telling the truth, when I think I might harm our relationship, truth doesn't always flow upstream, right? It doesn't, it doesn't flow to those situations that we need. And so part of, part of being a leader is being self-aware. So like for instance, even just seeing this and knowing that it's a tendency in us and then being able to take a look in your own heart and say, when has that been true of me that, that in a family meeting or a team meeting or whatever, I, I knew this was a salt brownie, but I chose to say, yeah, you go along to get along, right? And so part of what even this thing is, is long after you forget me, you're going to remember that video. And it's going to be a, there's going to be a placeholder for you to, to be able to say, I need to figure out a way to be completely candid and completely respectful. That's really the tension, right? How do we, how do we honor the relationship and still tell the truth? So um, when we feel stuck, in other words, when you're in a conversation and you don't know what to do next, it's usually because... A crucial conversation that, you, that it's because of a crucial conversation that you're unwilling to have. And the, what I'm going to show you is actually a couple of tricks or uh, skills to do when you're in that particular when you're in that particular moment. When you close the gap, and here's what's interesting: when you close the gap in a healthy way, you actually build trust. Now I want you to think about this with me for just a second. Do you have a time in your life when somebody that you know genuinely liked you or had, was for you, but they had to tell you something difficult? Like they were, they were literally straight up in a nice way told you of an area where you could grow. How many of you have an experience like that? Okay, on the other side of that, tell me the emotion that you had. 
What was, what, how did you feel about that person on the other side of that experience? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right, so it's it, uh, so yeah. You have to there's a you have to process and figure out what just happened. You know, because if you were totally not expecting the conversation, and now you have a conversation. I mean, yeah, there's the, absolutely. But generally speaking, the research shows that the more you can talk about the truth in a way that is respectful, you, the perception of you as a leader is that you're trustworthy, okay, or more trustworthy. Okay, I want you to watch. This is a six-minute video. Um, we're going to watch about five minutes of it. Um, that's a quick overview of why this is really important. So, um, so watch as Justin talks about this. Anytime you find yourself stuck, there are crucial conversations keeping you there. Our focus in this training won't be on communication for communication's sake. It will be on results, your results. And what tends to keep us stuck and keep us from producing results in our lives, in our organizations, and in our relationships are conversations about gaps that we're either not holding or not holding very well. Let's take a look at a real life example. David was the quintessential high-flying salesperson. No one could sell solutions better than him. He routinely put up big numbers and was almost always at the top of the sales leaderboard. Clients loved him, but his peers and direct reports didn't. David was brash, abrupt, critical, and demanding. He figuratively threw his weight around to get what he wanted, using his political power to get his way. Always, as he pointed out, with the goal of serving his clients and hitting his goals. His manager, Andrea, wasn't fully aware of what was happening, and even when she saw hints, she justified it because she needed the revenue that David was bringing in to meet the team's goals. The turning point for Andrea came when she realized she was about to lose half of her team because of David. They refused to work with him anymore. When we began our research, our burning question was, are there a handful of moments that disproportionately affect organizational performance, team performance, and even relationship success? And if so, what are those moments? We found that we could predict whether a person would achieve amazing results or not by watching them during just a few moments a day. Those moments when someone else is violating an agreement, not meeting an expectation, or just behaving badly. One of the big discoveries we made is that you don't have to choose between addressing a poor behavior and having a good relationship. It's actually the opposite. When you address behavior gaps effectively, you can improve relationships. Why? Because honesty actually builds trust. Andrea had two choices. Address the behavior in a way that closes the gap and keeps David engaged, or let a lot of her team walk away. She was a little apprehensive to have the conversation because David was so hard charging, and she was pretty sure he'd get defensive. She knew she needed to be really clear about her good intent. Before we finish up, there's one more thing I need to talk about with you. Okay. I have a concern that I want to discuss and I want you to know that my goal is to address it with you. Okay. What's up? Andrea went on very directly describing the problem behaviors. She was clear, direct. She didn't sugarcoat anything. I've had a handful of your teammates tell me that they don't want to work with you anymore. There's a pattern of you cutting people off in meetings, rolling your eyes when they talk, raising your voice when they disagree, calling them lazy. All of this feels demanding and overbearing. People feel like they can't be their best or share their ideas when they're around you. But she was also very respectful. She clarified her good intent throughout. I see you as an invaluable contributor on this team. I have no concerns with your skills as a rep but your ability to be a great teammate is as important. I want you to continue to grow. And this behavior with your colleagues, I worry it will completely get in the way. 
There was no defensiveness. He just listened. The conversation went on for over an hour and Andrea helped him see the impact his actions were having on the team culture and would eventually have on his own ability to be the salesperson he wanted to be. Once Andrea helped him make that connection, she said that David practically craved the solution to closing that gap. Over the weeks and months that followed, Andrea worked with David, coached him, mentored him. She gave him ongoing feedback, and David made those changes. He became one of the most respected and well-liked people in his organization. Not only that, but the relationship between Andrea and David changed forever. David knew that Andrea cared tremendously about his success, and it paved the way for many important conversations after that. If you really want to improve both your results and your relationships, you need two things. First, you need the skills to effectively step up to and honestly address gaps in performance and behavior. You need to be able to bring differing and diverse opinions into a shared pool of meeting to expand that pool with all the important and relevant information. Second, you gotta believe that people can change. All too often, when we're... So as you think about that, as you think about what you just saw in the video, um, what did you see the manager do that stood out to you? Yeah. Yep. Okay, what else? Okay. Okay, yeah, what else? Yeah, that's good. She didn't really, I mean, well, the side she picked uh, in the sense of, well, I, I, I believe them or, or whatever, but the side she picked was really his. I, I want the best for you. I want you, I want you to, to thrive. So yeah, she, she didn't take the, what the people said and beat him with it. Yeah, what else? Yeah. Here's the interesting thing. She made it look really easy, right? So here's what I want to here's what I want to say to you. Um, it, the butterflies don't go away, <laughs> but the but the tools actually help you navigate the butterflies. I mean, anytime you're having a conversation with somebody that is crucial, by definition, emotions are strong. So um, so it's important to have tools to help do this to, to move it from. I'm trying to put you in my, you know, I'm trying to shoot you with my scope to it's a gift. Like what we're doing here, this is a gift to you. This is a gift of feedback. It's a gift of you having the opportunity um, to learn. Here's the model. And this is on your page on the bottom. This is what's called the crucial conversations model. And here's just a couple of things I want to show you about the model before we jump into it. Notice that it says there's a before, there's a during, and there's an after, okay? So according to the model, there's some things you do before the conversation. You get unstuck and you master your stories. During the meeting, you share your meaning um, and you ask for theirs. We'll talk about what that means in just a second. And then when you close at the end, it's really who does what by when and how will we know? I mean, that's really what that is. But here's, what, here's the important thing I want you to see. The goal of this, this doesn't work. This doesn't work unless you really want a pool of shared meaning. Like, in other words, this is not a way to manipulate people. This is not a way just to get the salesman out of your office and back into the, you know, back into the workforce or whatever. What you're really trying to do is you're trying to make it so that, that I call it creating a sense of usness. It's not you and me, it's us. And in order for there to be usness, there has to be this pool of shared meaning. And the only way that you can get to the pool of shared meaning is in dialogue. That's why it's called Crucial Conversations Mastering Dialogue. Okay? And so notice this. See where it says silence and verbal violence? See those? Right? So silence is it's that lower brain function. You know, fight or flight. Really, this is flight. I'm, I'm either not going to weigh in or I'm just going to... It, I mean, I, I'm not going to talk. I may even leave the room, whatever. Verbal violence is when I escalate and I yell, call names, B, 
become adamant or whatever. And so as, a, as the person having the conversation, part of our job, I mean really our only job, is to behave in such a way that the pool of shared meaning is created because the most good comes from a pool of shared meaning. That all those V's that, that Jeff shared with us this morning, you don't have those without a pool of shared meaning. Okay? So, um, and again, I've already said this, but you create a pool of shared meaning through open dialogue. Here's the, here's the model I've already shared. Uh, what I want to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you a skill from here. And I'm going to show you a couple of skills from here that will help you take some initial steps in, in learning how to use this tool. Um, who is this? This is Flow. What is Flow known for? Insurance. But specifically, what does Progressive want you to do? Bundle. Yes. But bundle your insurance, your car, your boat, your house. And it's better for you and better for them. So, um, I mean, if you like flow, great. But if you like progressive, here, here's, here's my point. Um, when it comes to crucial conversations, we don't want to bundle them. We want to unbundle Okay? And this is actually, um, I think it's on the other side. It's on the second side of your uh, paper when we talk about unbundling. So I want you to think about this for just a second. Let's go back to the salesman. Okay? Um, if this would have been the first time that he did that, she might have had an entirely different kind of conversation with him. She still needs to have a crucial conversation with him. Um, but so, so what you need to ask yourself in the crucial, con what kind of a crucial conversation are we in? If you listened and you, you might have caught this, she said you have a pattern of behavior. Did you hear that when she said it? So in essence, what she was doing is she was unbundling this. And she did two things. She said, she stated that there was a pattern, so it's more than a single instance of a problem. It's actually a recurring problem. It's, it, it may have started here, but it has gotten to here. And, and maybe even as a manager, maybe she ignored it. Maybe she heard some stuff, but she liked the bottom line stuff. And so she could have maybe handled it here. But what ended up happening, she handled it when it was a pattern. And um, notice this, so, so pattern and relationship. How does the problem affect your working relationships? So what she did is she, she unbundled using CPR, and she addressed it as a pattern that affected relationships. Okay, so I want you to think about this for just a second. So when your brain is like somebody makes you mad, you know, or, or it's, it's the crucial conversation stuff coming together, strong emotion, outcome, uh, all that stuff. And all of a sudden you feel stuck. What I'm saying to you and what Crucial Conversations is saying is don't let your fight or flight brain take over. Immediately categorize it. Is this a one-time issue? Is this a pattern? Or is this a relational issue that we need to talk about? See, what, what happened in that moment you went from your, your lizard brain to your thinking brain. The reason sometimes we say stupid things in conversations is because we never get to our thinking brain. We get in, our, we get in that lower level brain um, area where it's really about self-preservation, fight or flight. So first thing you do is engage your thinking brain asking, is this a content issue? Is this a pattern? Or is this a relationship? Um, comments, questions, thoughts, uh, ways you'd want me to unpack this more? Okay. So anytime you find yourself stuck, so stuckness in a conversation is a clue that you're likely in a crucial conversation. All right. Um, refuse the fool's choice, if possible. Refuse the fool's choice and then use CPR to breathe life into the conversation. Unbundle with content, pattern, or relationship. All right? So going back to the model, look at your model, and where it says the pool of shared meaning, there is an arrow that points to it, right? There's two arrows. There's two blue arrows pointing to the middle. I want to talk about the arrow that's on your side. Okay? Here, look at this. You and I usually, this is, well, not you. We think when we see or hear something, that what we do is we see or hear, and then we act. 
that is not true. There's two steps that happen in here before you act. So that's what the model is going to talk. So let's do this. So here's the model built out. This is what happens in a split second in your brain when you're faced with a crucial conversation. You hear or see something. You tell yourself a story about it. And you, an emotion is generated. And then you act out of that emotion. So let's walk through the model. Let's show you how it works. So you see or hear something. You're working on a, prog- a report and your manager uh, or boss walks in to check up on you three times in one hour offering suggestions. So what's the fact? Here's the facts. Your manager came in and gave you suggestions three times. But what story might you tell yourself about those facts? Yeah, he, so I'm, I'm working for a micromanager. What are you going to say? Trusting. Yeah, that he's not trusting your ability to do the job or, or whatever. What else might you tell yourself about that? <laughs> he doesn't have enough. <laughs> That's awesome. He doesn't have enough to do. Okay, but notice this. What you've done, now listen, this is so important and so helpful. Well, at least it is for me. Maybe I'm just goofy, but I saw something, this, And I start talking to myself about it. And so what happens is um, I begin to behave toward that person according to my story, not according to the facts. Okay, so here's another, so here's a story. You decide, so we we see in here and then we tell a story. You decide your manager is questioning your capabilities. So this is the story we're going to tell about ourselves. Your manager doesn't believe you can... So here's the story you're telling yourself. Your manager doesn't believe that you can complete the task on your own. How does this make you feel? Defeated. Okay. Angry. Yeah, especially if you have some skill at this, right? Yep. Um, what else? Yeah, like, like maybe I'm not good enough. Yeah. What else? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. all of a sudden, okay, I'll just wait for him to, if you're going to hold my hand the whole way, I'm just going to wait till you come and hold it for the next time. Okay, then, okay, so some of the options, like you have said, you feel hurt, defensive, and angry. Your manager obviously hasn't paid attention to the other reports you've submitted perfectly in the past. Okay, so how might you act? Because now we have, we've seen facts, we've told ourselves a story, now we have an emotion, how might we act? Yeah, shut down. Yeah. So let's look at some of the behaviors that might happen as a result of this. You ignore your manager's suggestions and spend time complaining to your coworkers about his management style or her management style, right? Um, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise your hand because probably all of us are guilty at some point of being this, this person. So, so you hear, you don't hear and see and then act. You hear and see, you tell yourself a story about it, you feel based on the story, not the facts, and then you act. Okay, um, let's just assume that's true. Just, just give the research say it's, it's valid. How does this help us? What's helpful about this little bar arrow pointing to shared dialogue? Okay, yeah. Yep. Okay, all right. Yeah, so, I mean, these are going to happen, but you, um, so help me understand, you don't need the middle two. Yeah, okay. So in other words, you need to be aware of your vulnerability to tell a story that's going to generate an emotion that's not going to be helpful to you. Yep. What else? Anything? Yes. (laughs) Have you read the book? Because they call, that the, they call that the downward spiral. This is uh, down, so here's the spiral. 
you see here, you see something, you tell yourself a story about it, then you have an emotion about it, and then you act, and then something else, another set of facts happens, and you just keep going, and it's a downward spiral, and so ultimately something punitive happens in the relationship or in the, in the job, those kind of things. Okay. Um, if, if it, I, here, this is my story. I have higher levels of certification in this now, but just this one thing, just reading the book, on, or actually just listening to the book and letting this sink into me was a game changer for me. Even if, uh, I mean, even if you don't go any further than that, just understanding how your brain works, that you have to work against this, that, that actually then, if you're a person of faith, reading the scripture <laughs> actually helps you understand that to tell different stories right? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do, right? Okay. Um, so here's the problem. When our emotions kick in and we act our worst, we act our worst and we think it's not our fault. We heard a whole hour and 15 minutes earlier about we have, we have to take responsibility for our attitudes. That, that's one thing we can control. So the solution is to take responsibility for the emotions you bring to the conversation by owning your story. So let's go back. So what the, what we're saying is these emotions are generated by the stories in my library that I tell about this set of facts, okay? So here's the thing. Even if you don't catch it quick enough, <clears throat> again, if you're a person of faith, at least it tells you what to repent from. Like, you know, I mean, you know, how to change your behavior. Okay, why do we tell stories? Thanks for asking. You guys are so great. Um, we guess... So stories are key because we guess. We try to figure out motive. We judge, which leads us to a, uh, to a feeling and then to an action. So in other words, we're trying to figure out the motive of the person that's talking to me. Oh, they don't, they're micromanaging because whatever it is, we're, going, we're trying to find out motive. We tell stories quickly. Sometimes we don't even notice that we're doing it especially if you've had a bad experience with somebody and now it's like chapter two, it comes really, really quickly. And we, we are our own worst enemy. Our negative story escalates our emotions and we act at our worst. In the book, they talk about three different kinds of stories. They talk about that we, there's a victim story that we tell. There's a villain story that we tell. And there's a helpless story that, like all the stories that we have, they fall into those categories. So when I tell a story, I'm going to tell a story that I win, that I'm the good guy. And the manager or whoever else is the bad guy, I'm just the victim. They're the villain. I'm helpless, okay? So as we look at this, um, here's the reality, and here's why we need tools. Under pressure, you don't rise to the occasion. You sink to the level of your training, so why do we train? Why do we read books? Why do we come to conferences like this? So that when there's a crucial conversation, we don't have to try to pretend our way to a good conversation. No, there's actually training to help us to be able to, um, to do that. Okay, so when you're getting emotional or telling negative stories, like when you remember the arrow, when you're at the second spot on the arrow, um, what do you do? Well, be proud of yourself for even thinking about it if you're in the middle of the conversation. But ask this question, what's my role in this? And, and this is not, so let me tell you what this is not. This is not taking blame for something that is not true. It is unhelpful. If the other person's being a total jerk, you don't have to say, well, I must have deserved it or whatever. What's my role in this is to be somebody who doesn't make the fool's choice. That's my role. Because if I... If I let it, if I go to silence or violence, if I go to silence, I just empower the bad behavior. If I go to violence, then it comes about something other than the behavior, right? And so what's my role? And then ask this question. Why would a reasonable, rational, decent person do this? So in other words, maybe they're having a, good, a, a bad day. Maybe it really is just a, maybe they're distracted because they just found out like our friend that they're, um, son, adult sons had a heart attack and they don't know what's going to happen on the, so maybe they're not even, maybe work is just an irritant right now because they really have this other thing. So, so you're, this is giving the other person the, the benefit of the doubt. Remember, the pool of shared meaning is really asking this question, 
how do we create an us-ness to this? So that it's not them and me, it's really us, okay? So why would a reasonable, rational, decent person do this? And what should I do right now to move toward what I want? And what I want is, well, we're going to talk about that in a second, so I'll give you some cliff notes, but the, what, you're not wanting to win. That's not the point. How do we move toward tr- what we want is truth. We want candor and good relationships. So how do I, what's my next step in moving to that? Comments or questions? Are there other things that you have found helpful when you're getting emotional about a thing? Uh, yeah. Give some space so that you can build perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And so what we want to do is what? Act, right? Yep. 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 Any other thoughts? about things you have found helpful. I think building space is a really key thing um, because you gotta have some time to ask these questions, right? So these are just cheat questions that you can ask. Um, One of the things, again, going back to the model, so we did, so what we've talked about so far is what you do before. Now we're talking about what you do in the, you start with heart. How to stay focused on what you really want. Um, Watch this, this will bless you. So, uh we're going to be able to get this done, right? Of course, absolutely. It's not going to happen. But she thinks that I think that it's going to happen. And I'm going to keep it that way. Mm. I know I had mentioned the 18th. I'm wondering if we could get it done a little earlier. Maybe the 16th? Uh, yeah, I don't have any concerns with that. Not true. Big concerns. I wonder how design would feel about helping us out. They've got time, right? I'm sure they can make time. They love pressure. They thrive on it. I've heard a lot of good things from them about pressure. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to hate me. I won't be invited to Taco Tuesday like ever. Oh, boy. So... What are your needs in terms of budget? Budget? (laughs) You know what? We'll figure it out. I know how important this is. Great. It is really great to be able to work so collaboratively with you on this. Collaboration? You tell me what to do, I do it. I totally agree. It's so refreshing to have a manager I can really talk to. Thanks. Really, thanks. You know, I'm just thinking out loud here. What if we changed the scope just a little and brought back the feature set we cut last year? That would be amazing. What? Are you out of your mind? That would be crazy. Amazing. Crazy amazing. I Okay. So the whole point the whole point of that is this. If we don't talk it out, we'll act it out. None of us is good at enough actor to completely hide our self-talk. Eventually what we're thinking, feeling, and wanting is going to impact the conversation. It's going to impact the way that we um, deal with the people that are on our team. So they're, they're going to feel it at some point, even if we don't have the conversation. Here is a diagram, and this, I, this is not, um, is this on your handout, the intent piece? No, it's not. A, um, you can just take a picture of this if you want it. Here's the idea. Why are we going after pools of shared meaning? Is, this is unhelpful intent. In other words, one of the things you have to ask yourself if you're going to enter into the conversation is what is my intent in the conversation? If your intent is to be right, look good, save face, win, punish, blame, avoid conflict, comf- be comfortable and control, then you're not going to be perceived like the manager was who dealt with the salesperson, right? 
What you're looking for is a way to find the truth, learn, find a win-win situation, produce long-term results, and strengthen relationships. And so part of that's part of the way that you know that you're contributing in a way that you may not intend to contribute is by looking at what's unhelpful intent and the why behind what you're feeling about that conversation. Okay? So you may not want to be here, but you may find yourself here. So the responsibility then becomes how do we move over to the good kind of, of intent? Okay. The first thing that deteriorates during a crucial conversation is not our behavior, but our intent. Be clear with yourself and others about what you really want. And that's, that's what we just talked about. So how do we do that? Ask yourself questions. What do my actions communicate about my intent? So if somebody responds to you in a particular way, at some point you just need to ask, what did I do? What, what, what of my behavior facilitated, what did my behavior say? So for instance, going back to my daughter's illustration where she asked if I was mad, I was unaware that when I concentrate, I kind of make a Grinch face or whatever. And so, so anyway, that's good to know. Um, but it affected how she felt like my, what my intent was in the meeting. Okay. So what do I really want? What do I want from me? What do I want for the other person? What do I want for our relationship? What do I want for our organization? I would say I'm actually, I'm trying to help my parents decide to move to Florida. They're 80 now and not in great health and trying to, I actually used this grid to formulate some conversations that I had with my parents. Like in other words, I, I made it so that it was the right moment to have the conversation when I flew home to be with them. What I want for me is I want to honor my parents. And I want to be able to provide the kind of health provision that they need. And they live in Kansas and I live here and my brother lives in Alaska. So they're, they're just there. But what do I want for the other person? I want dad to feel respected. I want dad to feel like he has a choice in this. So I say all that to say, you know, Jeff talked over here about velocity, how fast you change something. This actually helps me slow down. I like to go really fast. And this has, I have seen just in the short time that I've been practicing this particular tool, even in my own heart, I'm calmed down about it. Because I know that my actions can communicate something I'm not intending. And we don't have to get all this done tomorrow. All right. Uh, so how do you share good intent? It, Come up with your own phrases, but if I'm having a conversation with you and it's going to be a difficult conversation, I, I just start off by saying, hey, my goal here is to uh, strengthen our relationship. We need to have a little bit of a tough conversation, but I need you to know before we begin, this is really all about a stronger relationship. Um, or I want to see you succeed. Just you actually, you saw that in the video with the salesman, right? Um, Another, and again, this depends on how you receive different things, but um, like if we were to go to Anya, the, the first video we saw, hey, I don't want you to feel like I acted, in, um, I don't want to ruin our relationship by you thinking I didn't involve you in the discussion. So moving forward, I want our relationship to be much more collaborative. So maybe you can't fix what's happened, maybe they have to meet that deadline, but you see how it worked, right? Okay. Here's what I want you to do, and we'll then we're landing the plane. One of the, uh, what I like to do just to, to help you guys have something that you take with you is I just call this the what are you leaving, what are you taking. So this is a red post-it note, and this is a green post-it note. I decided not to kill any trees, so I don't have those for you today. But I want you to imagine you have a red post-it note. Now, the red post-it note is something that you're going to leave here, like you're not going to do it anymore. You're not going to do it out there. You're going to leave it here. And then, one, and then the green is the thing that you're going to take with you. If we were done, and it doesn't have to be just be from my, this, this time together, but from today, if, what's one thing that you think you need to leave here in order to be more effective? Um, and what's one thing that you think you need to take with you? So, for instance, when I first was exposed to this material, what I would have said here, I'm going to leave... Uh, 
I'm going to leave behind my tendency for the fool's choice. I'm going to leave that behind. And over here, what I said is I'm going to learn to manage my stories. So I'm going to learn that I'm going to just drill down on that my emotions are driven by my stories, not facts. So take a few minutes and do that. And then it's actually uh, right at time. any questions or comments or thoughts before we are, we're done? And if not, we'll just let you finish by doing that.